0: Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm
1: Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Welcome. You are listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Today we're recording from the CFAS library on campus, so hopefully our sound quality will not be an issue. Andrew Kloppenstein has joined us from the Department of Food, Agricultural, and Biological Engineering. He is a research engineer working on precision ag technologies.
1: Thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, no problem.
1: So, Andrew, you've generated interest on social media about multi-hybrid planting with the Ohio State logos that you've had the last few years featuring the Block O and Brutus Buckeye. Could you explain what multi-hybrid planting is?
2: Yeah. So, uh, good question. We started out this project and there was a lot of interest in multi-hybrid planting and we we're looking for ways to really generate more interest and that's why we planted those logos but multi-hybrid planting is uh, simply planting two different hybrids, corn hybrids or uh, soybean varieties in different soil landscapes so when we look across many of these different uh, field scenes not only here in Ohio but across the U.S. not every acre is the same there's differences in soil type, water holding capacity and even organic matter and there's a lot of others but there's a couple different vendors out there that have technology that allows to switch uh, these uh, seeds literally on the fly.
0: So why is that valuable?
2: So when we look at multi-hybrid planting and we're going across the soil landscape and let's just take for example if we have um, SDS in soybeans we might put a treatment on soybeans that allow us to essentially treat that seed before it goes into the ground so when we're going across the the ground we put that treatment on one acre but not the next so we get a, a return on investment another example would be looking at some soil types in corn we want to put a racehorse hybrid or more in that dark fertile ground we want to put a hybrid that allows it to get 300 bushel where in the defensive side where it's lighter or eroded hillsides, we'd like to put a hybrid that would defend against those drought tolerance or um, later in the season struggling to get water.
1: Interesting. So that sounds like there's potential there, but you can't just take any planter you have out of the shed and, and use that to achieve these goals. So what kind of technology would we need on a planter to execute
2: yeah, so there's a couple different vendors. Uh, there's Kinsey Manufacturing that has a multi-hybrid uh, meter, and there's also Precision planning. They have two versions of it. So they have a meter called VSET Select, and it's literally two planter meters with electric drive. And you essentially equip your planner with all precision products. Now, there's different stages. You might not start out uh, putting uh, VSET Select on the entire planner, You might just have electric drive. But most farmers have the ability to variable rate now, but they don't take advantage of that. So there's just sort of a word of caution before you jump in and do this. But precision planning also just came out with an M set, which is a single meter option instead of having two meters. And that allows you sort of to step up your planter. So you'll put electric drive on one year, then you'll put M set, and then eventually speed tube, which allows high speed planning. But each of these different technologies, you just can't go out and expect to take a ground drive planter and plant two different hybrids going across the field. There's also the plumbing aspect on the planter. Most of this technology came out when with these larger planters. We have bulk fill in the center of the planter, and you plumb the left tank, goes to the left side of the planter, and the right tank goes to the right side of the planter. But when we start looking at trying to put very or multi-hybrid on there you actually have to take the left tank and put it across the entire planer and the right tank across the entire planer so it's not just as simple as you're led to believe you have to actually take and replumb the entire seed system and then once you do this you have to obviously check for interferences and looking to make sure that you don't have bridging effects because that can happen when you start changing the length of hoses and what that planer was made to do and looking at the fold points when you fold the planer out
0: Well, it's a good thing we have engineers like you to help us out with that. (laughs) So, equipment isn't the only important part, right? There's, um, once you have the planter, you still need to create prescriptions um, based on the different fields that you're going to plant into. So, how are those generated, and what information do you need?
2: Yeah. So we have lots of different data layers, and if we all knew the solution to all the data layers, we probably wouldn't be here today. But we have hybrid prescriptions, we have population, we have fertilizer, insecticide, and then we look at all these different aspects that can go into generating that that perfect prescription. Each uh, agronomist sort of has, quote, their secret sauce to give you that prescription. And the biggest challenge with multi-hybrid is we we don't know a lot about some of the characteristics of these seeding the seeding rates and then we look at the traits of the actual hybrid or variety itself they react differently every year based off the amount of rain we get the weather and if we um, look at this something simple in corn the mineralization of nitrogen has a huge role in how these hybrids react in the soil landscape. So there, there there's several different things going into prescriptions. What we've noticed the best return on investment over the last uh, four years has been yield maps. Now, is the yield map perfect? No, but each growing season you add that uh, yield map to your um, data layers to actually fine-tune your prescription. Now, there are some other things that can go into that. uh, Soil testing, there's also... um, remote-sensed imagery, which we're starting to see a a very strong correlation in some of the remote-sensed imagery, and when we start looking at remote-sensed imagery and combining that with maybe side slopes and elevation and looking at literally the slope that can really come into effect maybe on your eroded hillsides, really nailing down where that transition zone is, it might not match your soil type, but it's going to match some of your side slope, and that has some relationships that we've seen.
0: So this um, is almost taking seed selection to a whole new level because you can really do a lot more depending on what issues you're trying to solve in the field. I mean you can if we have the technology available uh, you can do a lot if you get into trying to manage pests and diseases and stuff like that but it sounds like um, first of all we're trying to focus on that yield data level and working off of that
2: right so yield data is obviously the easiest one but what we've noticed with some of our growers they say they have yield data and they really don't have high quality yield data they don't have a calibrated combine they never go back and um, clean the yield map they they just have it sort of stuck in a file folder or Mm -hmm. worse on a flash drive that is buried in a box of flash drives and there's just not good data management there. So really understanding the quality of the data and then understanding how to extract usable information. And that's been a real challenge with the growers, because not only are we managing, obviously, the yield, but when we start talking about pest year to year, I mean, um, soybean cyst nematode, that that's one that we just don't have a good handle to pre- predict. We have some identifiers, say this area generally on a farm, and they'll sort of, when we go to a field, they'll just sort of wave their hand, and it's a hillside that looks like it's a half mile away, when in fact, they really don't even have a remote sensed image or something to really quantify that area. And if they can quantify the acres, it really goes into helping you build that prescription if you're trying to um, generate a prescription just to plant a certain area with a seed treatment goes a long way.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up data quality because I hit on that a lot <laughs> in my extension meetings. It's incredibly important. And in the past, we've, we've been able to ignore focusing on collecting high-quality data because we don't really use it. And now that we're starting to incorporate this data into our decision-making process, the risk of making the wrong decision is quite high. And some of these investments that we're making in both equipment and seed, you, you don't want to be wrong.
2: Yeah, there, there's a, a lot of risk even in multi-hybrid. That, that's a good thing to bring up. We we just can't go to the field and expect us to um, get the perfect return on investment the first year. Everyone expects to put uh, all this money in their planner and they expect to see 7, 10, 12-bushel return, or even if it's a 3 or 4-bushel per acre return, it's really a hard thing to do. And when We have growers that have the ability to variable rate seed now. I would say about 80% of farmers, we can argue the number, have the ability to variable rate seed, and they come up to me and they ask me, well, can we put multi-hybrid on the planter? And my first question is, well, do you variable rate seed? And the answer is, we have the ability to, but we've never done it. Well, that's an, an extreme challenge to go from varying your rate to now variable rate seeding plus doing changing your hybrids on the fly or your varieties it's just a, a real challenge and then the, we get into some of the logistics in this and there's a lot of challenges there if the farmers aren't equipped with multiple seed tenders or split seed tenders are used to um, just putting all the hybrids in in the corner of the barn and uh, last in is first out they really don't have any plan or the agronomist gives them the plan and they sp- specify the hybrids for all these different fields then they don't follow it. I mean, their reaction is, "It's May May 10th. We got to get everything in the field. I don't care what hybrid or what variety goes where. I'm putting it in the ground." And that's a, a real detriment to the agronomist. I feel bad for them when they are they do all this work and then the farmer just ignores it. But uh, hey, in their
1: defense, they they print that number on the label very small. And once you have carried it all the way to the planter, you don't want to turn around and get another one. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: We, we've gone a long way in some of our uh, actual seed tenders to making sure we label the seed tenders, um, not just with the small print of the label, but we actually tape and tape um, large enough letters. That way you get it in and we'll label uh, literally on the seed tender, left side of planter or um, the one bushel boxes or the, the bulk fill system so it gets in the right side or the left side. And we've had, uh, the first year we had a grower put the wrong hybrid in the wrong side of the, the tank and planted. And that can be a swing of 50 bushel. Wow. Um, which can be a real challenge. And if you want to see uh, fathers and sons and farmhands get really, really upset in a hurry, uh, try telling them when you run out of the one hybrid three-quarters of the way through the field because you loaded the planter wrong, now you have not enough seed and you just planted the wrong hybrid in the wrong spot. That's a real um, challenge. So you talk about making a mistake and looking into the future. Farmers just can't blindly accept um, multi-hybrid. They also have to look at the logistics and then being able to coordinate that with everybody because you really, you lose planter capacity. When you start looking, no hybrid in the field, there's no split perfect uh, 50-50. It's never like that. So when you reduce your planter capacity that's another thing you have to take into account and farmers usually don't like being told they lose planter capacity
0: yeah that's a good point point. and i think all of what we just talked about is key. if someone's considering this they have to realize that there is a whole nother level of management you know making sure you're organized well in advance of the beginning of planting um taking extra steps to label things properly that's a great idea there big labels and where things need to go
2: yeah and the other thing is when we first sat down trying to get um, everybody to agree on the same soil zone and the same hybrid to place in the field so usually it's just a challenge the seed salesman usually had to sell on the seed Mm -hmm. and the farmer now you might have the the father the two sons and then you have their seed salesman and their agronomist now they all have to agree not only on what rate to put down in the field they have to agree on which seed to place where and you talk about some conversations well no that hill doesn't end there that line ends over here and no this ends here it just get it can be a real challenge and trying to remove some other things if you actually have actionable data it comes back to this data having good yield history and if you have good remote sensed imagery like from your past years let's say 2012 was a good um, example where it was really dry and understanding well hey this is what it was like in a dry year once they plant they know what they can expect or um, when it's been a really wet year we've had some really good Mm -hmm. wet years water sort of trumps everything regardless of what you do i mean you can have the perfect plan if you go out there and you get perfect rain through the whole growing season there's not a whole lot of benefit of multi-hybrid you're trying to take out that risk from Mm -hmm. uh from planting you're trying to make sure you maintain that yield all the way through well if you have rain every year perfect rains i mean makes farming easy
1: so we've talked a lot about making the decision and how it could be or could be right or could be wrong are there any ways in your research that you're collecting data to decide if your prescription is, is the correct prescription, or if you would have been better off switching things up?
2: Yeah, so we've had a lot of challenges evaluating just the technology, of multi hybrid. So uh, just the hardware side, all all the manufacturing now, the equipment is very fundamentally sound. There, there's very few issues, and the issues that you do have when you're in the field are very minimal, and you can actually trace them through the monitor or get out and, and check. But when we start looking at the prescription side and evaluating, did I get that hybrid right in zone A and zone B? In 2015, we started out, we were just doing the block approach. It wasn't replicated. It wasn't random. And there's there's a lot of um, faults behind that. And I we were really challenged by a lot of agronomists, researchers, and other universities. We need to step step up our game and really look at finding a way to to evaluate that technology so in 2016 we really went to an all strip so the entire field was um, strips and we had multiple populations we had we varied our prescription and we we all said and done it it still comes back to action right so we had them all planted and our a b lines didn't match up a lot our uh, strips. So when you have that, you have the combine harvesting one direction and you have the strips the other. So we sort of lost a, a year worth of data and that that was can be really difficult when you were on a yearly basis to collect data. So in 2017 we went back and we had we cut back on the number of actual treatments but we had the same number of replications. So we, we really shoot for greater than four replications. Everything's random. We had one population a sort of an a average population we'd say for the field and then we also had the blocks in there because um, there's still a differing opinion on that but we had the blocks and the strips and that really allowed us to evaluate it and in 2017 there really wasn't a whole lot to gain and that being said does that mean everywhere no just in our area where we were evaluating it we had very timely rains i mean we had 80 bushel beans and 200 plus corn and On the ground we're on, where it's gravel, that's remarkable yields, um, extremely remarkable. And then 2018, we're currently in that same, we've sort of found that ideal prescription strips and blocks mixed.
0: So if a farmer is implementing this and they're using their yield data or other types of data to make this decision, do you have a recommendation on evaluating it year to year? Should they include some replicated strips in there as checks to make sure they're on the right track and how do they fine tune it from there?
2: Yeah, so I always recommend they should be testing strips somehow. Now it's really hard for farmers to do uh, four replications random And it makes no sense in the field. Mm -hmm. But um, I always recommend at least two or three strips, whether they split the planter and do that. And then they need to make sure they go across as many of the soil zones in that pass as possible. So if they have a really cut up field and they have maybe 200 foot of swath in the middle where it crosses, let's say, five out of six zones or four out of six zones, they really need to go across those zones because they need as, as much the range from poor to good as possible and i I really encourage farmers to do that and if they have issues um, sort of laying out well how do i lay out my strips so it hey i can publish it we actually have an app osu plots that does an an excellent job laying out uh, how to randomize and then plugging in results at the end of the year to make determinations because we're all about looking at averages and looking at the whole strip but really we need to make sure we run some statistics and can actually say something conclusive at the end, just not, well, the averages were five bushel apart, so I'm going to go off five bushel. Well, was that a true five bushel, or is that um, the way you set it up? Did you bias the data?
0: Okay. And when you're saying running across those zones, you're talking about a strip with each type of hybrid Mm -hmm. going through those zones so you can check on each type, the
1: low or the high yielding areas.
2: Correct. Correct.
1: So just out of curiosity, when you're talking about these field trials, this isn't small equipment, and when you talk about all these replications, how big of a field are you typically running a research trial in?
2: Yeah, so we do everything with production size equipment. So our standard um, operating width is 40 feet. We have a 16-row planter for corn, and it's a splitter, so 32 or 31 rows, depending how the prescription lays out for beans. And you really have to have how you lay out the field. So we have to take into account um, tile, which can bias data on your strips, as well as any previous um, years that you may have done, tillage on half the field or the other. But we, we have test strips in as small as a 40 acre field, and we have them in as large as a 300 or 350 acre field. So we have a huge range. Is it possible to get in smaller ones? Yes, just depends on your planter width. But then you also have to start looking at your succeeding passes so what your sprayer is driving on do you need to offset your sprayer 20 feet so you're not biasing your data things like that successive passes that way you don't um essentially run over all the the hybrid a with the sprayer and you don't run over any of hybrid b but you need to take that into account
0: So I think what a lot of people are probably wondering at this point is what's the return on investment? Because we talked about implementing um, the types of equipment that you needed and it's a lot more management. Is it going to pay
2: off? Right. So it's an extremely difficult uh, question to ask because the return on investment in uh, Nebraska or Iowa or Illinois is a lot different than here. And what... What we've been working a lot with is Bex Hybrids, and we, they sort of have all these test sites and PFR sites across the U.S., and we also have ours here, and we've been um, sort of bringing our data together. And what we've sort of come up with is we have about a 6-bushel the acre return on corn. So when you have about a 6-bushel the acre, um, you cost about $2,000 a row. You get about 1,500 acres as your return on investment. Now, are you going to see that the first year? No. Um, you might have some fields. We've seen some fields that are extremely high. You'll see a 12 to 14 bushel acre advantage. And sometimes you have a, a, a loss. And that's a really tough thing when you start out um, and you evaluate and you see a, a negative number. But you're learning each year. And I know farmers that are getting in that uh, 10, 11, 12 bushel the acre gain by um having multi-hybrid on corn. Now when we look at soybeans uh, here in Ohio we've had some difficult difficulty identifying really a benefit and we thought this beans we thought had a lot more upside I think it's going to sort of we'll see here in the future but we're seeing about a two a two bushel the acre advantage which isn't which isn't terrible but um, when we're looking at a lot of averages and it's just um, we're seeing a lot of swings. some fields will have six bushel the acre and some will have will, will not see any and that's sort of been the trend but we've had a really good weather for our beans last few years mm-hmm. and when we talk about advantages i mean beans that would be about 2,000 acres to get a payback but w- our planter we have it set up to plant corn and soybeans, so we have it on a splitter planter so you can actually bring the those acres way down you can pay for it a lot quicker but it, it really comes back to just knowing the hybrid and variety knowledge about getting a return on investment. And we don't have that information from the seed companies. And we've really done a good job uh, coming up with hybrids and varieties that are right in the middle. They're good at everything. If, if I put, pulled up a, a hybrid sheet, it would have good ratings and everything. And we know that's not true, but we, we don't really have true offensive and true defensive hybrids. And until we start to get back to that again, where we have a true offensive hybrid, where it's just going to take off out of the gate in the black soil, I think there's, we're leaving uh, some yield advantage on the table. And there's also going to be some things that come here in the future um, with stresses and with insect pressures and disease that we're going to see a lot more benefit in multi-hybrid.
1: So let's get back to the logo fields. Andrew, how did you come up with the idea, and how do you choose the design and execute it every year?
2: Yeah, so when we first started out, everybody uh, sort of like pretty pictures. You put something in front of them, they really don't know what they have, like a yield map back in the 90s. We put a yield map, and no one knows what they're looking at. And we, we would put these as-planted maps, and everyone would look at it. Oh, that looks nice, but we're not really excited about it. So in 2015, we actually decided we were going to do a logo is uh, basic it was a O, and it really brought out a lot of the um, issues on planner setup and it also demonstrated the technology and there was a lot of PR that came with it more than we ever thought uh, yeah obviously branding being the Ohio State University whenever you put something out in the cornfield and you can be recognized it brings up a lot of questions
0: and it's usually pretty close to football time too so everyone is excited about that
2: yeah so the first year we had a block O, and it's not as simple as uh, you put the picture in the monitor and it spits out. We actually hand draw all these logos every year, and it's it's been a challenge because uh, the software packages haven't really caught up to you. Just put an image in and you can trace it. There are some challenges drawing those up. So. We drew it up. We had some issues with our offset the first year. I like to say it's operator error, so essentially that was myself. I didn't have my <laughs> offsets right the first year, and I took a lot of grief from the manufacturers in going to these meetings. I didn't have my planner offset right. I didn't have some overlap correct. And then in the second year, we went to uh, Brutus, and when we look look at Brutus, inherently everyone's like, oh, that was just automated. Well, it's, it's automated when we go across the field, but we had to hand-draw all those lines and uh, lay it out and then we also laid out the variable rate seeding prescription inside that so you hand draw it and then you have to bring in and do some um, overlaying of data layers and pull out that prescription so year two was a very challenging and we have to actually when we had all the press the first year we actually had to bring in a team of people the second year and it was actually a request from uh, then at the time the dean what he wanted to see in the field so we started to get quite a bit of press And then the third year, we went uh, to the Athletic logo, which is the Ohio State football logo, and that was released um, really close in conjunction with football season, and there was just a lot of press behind that. And whenever we go in and talk about these, farmers get more excited about that than putting in your actual prescription that gains you money. (laughs) The the Athletic logo doesn't gain you money in the field. A lot of farmers would like to think that, but it doesn't. And then uh, this year, we we actually have a logo that we hand-drew, and it's going to be coming out here and... The next uh, week or so, maybe less, and we're really excited to uh, bring that out. And this is actually going to be the first time. It's going to be in soybeans. So the first three years was all in corn. This uh, fourth year is actually in soybeans, and we have been watching the field very closely, and we're really excited to see uh, the logo. It's actually popped, and no one has seen it from the plane or sky yet, but we hope to release that image uh, shortly.
1: Just go ahead and tell us what it is, Andrew. We're all dying to know. This is cool. Well, I'd love to tell
2: you, but boy, I've been asked that question for a year. We're going to have to keep that a secret.
1: All right. Well, can you at least tell us where to look so when it does come out, we'll be the first ones to see it?
2: Yeah, so um, the press release will come across the uh, Food Ag and Bioengineering website. It'll also be on the college website, and it'll also be on social media. So be watching the uh, Precision Ag, Ohio State uh, Twitter and we will be releasing it through that as well. Be be on the lookout. We're really excited to see it.
1: Yeah, if you don't follow um, the Ohio State Precision Ag team on Twitter, it is at Ohio State PA. Uh, it'll be on Facebook too, right? Correct. So same same thing. I think it's also is it also Ohio State PA? I believe so. Yes.
0: Very cool. So are there any other um, resources available? Where can people look if they want to find out more information about multi-hybrid planting in general?
2: Yes. So um, don't be afraid to ask any of us or email us. I know there are several of us, uh, Dr. Shear, Dr. Um, John Fulton, and myself. We're, we're more than willing to answer questions, but we also have some resources, um, eFields, and we hope to publish some more of those results in eFields. Uh, This coming uh, growing season or after the growing season in 2018, early 2019, is the release date for eFields.
0: Perfect. And we did a podcast a few weeks ago on eFields, so hopefully our listeners know all about that. If not, go back to that one and check it out because it is a great resource as you start to make decisions for
1: next year. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. I know I learned a lot. Yeah, I did as well.
2: Well, no problem. I, a few things for the growers. I always, with this technology, want to encourage them always dig behind the planter. Just because we have this technology, we need to make sure we do dig behind the planter because a lot of things can be prevented, at least uh, when corn comes up and be surprised.
1: Great advice. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.